Chapter Seventeen of Zanoni by Edward Bulwer Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Great travel hath the gentle Calidor, and toil endured. There on a day he chanced to spy a sort of shepherd grooms playing on pipes and caroling apace. Here, there beside, saw a fair damsel. For a considerable period the pupil of Mejnour was now absorbed in labour dependent on the most vigilant attention, on the most minute and subtle calculation. Results astonishing and various rewarded his toils and stimulated his interest. Nor were these studies limited to the chemical discovery, in which it is permitted me to say that the greatest marvels upon the organization of physical life seemed wrought by experiments of vivifying influence of heat. Mejnour professed to find a link between all intellectual beings in the existence of a certain all-pervading and invisible fluid resembling electricity. Yet distinct from the known operations of that mysterious agency a fluid that connected thought to thought with the rapidity and precision of the modern telegraph, and the influence of this fluid, according to Mejnour, extended to the remotest past, that is to say, whenever and wheresoever man had thought. Thus, if the doctrine were true, all human knowledge became attainable through a medium established between the brain of the individual inquirer and all the farthest and obscurest regions of the universe of ideas. Glyndon was surprised to find Mejnour attached to the abstruse mysteries which the Pythagoreans ascribed to the occult science of numbers. In this last, new lights glimmered dimly on his eyes, and he began to perceive that even the power to predict or rather to calculate results might by here there is an erasure in the manuscript but he observed that the last brief process by which in each of these experiments the wonder was achieved mejnour reserved for himself and refused to communicate the secret the answer he obtained to his remonstrances on this head was more stern than satisfactory dost thou think said mejnour that i would give to the mere pupil whose qualities are not yet tried, powers that might change the face of the social world? The last secrets are entrusted only to him of whose virtue the master is convinced. Patience! It is a labor itself that is the great purifier of the mind, and by degrees the secrets will grow upon thyself as thy mind becomes riper to receive them. At last Manjur professed himself satisfied with the progress made by his pupil. The hour now arrives, he said when thou mayst pass the great but airy barrier, when thou mayst gradually confront the terrible dweller of the threshold. Continue thy labours, continue to surpass thine impatience for results, until thou canst fathom the causes. I leave thee for one month. If at the end of that period, when I return, the tasks set thee are completed, and thy mind prepared by contemplation and austere thought for the ordeal, I promise thee the ordeal shall commence. One caution alone I give thee. Regard it as a peremptory command. Enter not this chamber till my return, or above all, if by any search for materials necessary to thy toils should thou venture hither, forbear to light the naphtha in those vessels, to open the vases on yonder shelves. I leave the key of the room in thy keeping, in order to try thy abstinence and self-control. Young man, this very temptation is part of thy trial. With that, 
Mejnour placed the key in his hands, and at sunset he left the castle. For several days Glyndon continued immersed in employments which strained to the utmost all faculties of his intellect. Even the most partial success depended so entirely on the abstraction of the mind, and the minuteness of its calculations, that there was scarcely room for any other thought than those absorbed in the occupation, and doubtless this perpetual strain of the faculties was the object of Mejnour in works that did not seem exactly pertinent to the purposes in view as the study of elementary mathematics for example is not so profitable in solving of problems unless in our after callings as it is serviceable in training the intellect to the comprehension and analysis of general truths but in less than half the time which mejnour had stated for the duration of his absence all that the mystic had appointed to his toils was completed by the pupil and then his mind thus relieved from the drudgery and mechanism of employment once more sought occupation in dim conjecture and restless fantasies. His inquisitive and rash nature grew excited by the prohibition of Mejnour, and he found himself gazing too often, with perturbed and daring curiosity, upon the key of the forbidden chamber. He began to feel indignant at a trial of constancy, when he deemed frivolous and puerile. What nursery tales of Bluebeard and his closet were revived to daunt and terrify him? How could the mere walls of a chamber, in which he had so often securely pursued his labours, start into living danger? If haunted, it could only be but by those delusions which Mejnour had taught him to despise. A shadowy lion, a chemical phantasm. Tush! He lost half his awe of Mejnour, when he thought that by such tricks the sage could practice upon the very intellect he had awakened and instructed still he resisted the impulses of his curiosity and his pride and to escape from their dictation he took long rambles on the hills or amidst the valleys that surrounded the castle seeking by bodily fatigue to subdue the unreposing mind one day suddenly emerging from a dark ravine he came upon one of those italian scenes of rural festivity and mirth in which the classic age appears to revive it was a festival partly agricultural, partly religious, held yearly by the peasants of that district. Assembled at the outskirts of a village, animated crowds, just returned from a procession to a neighboring chapel, were now forming themselves into groups. The old to taste the vintage, the young to dance, all to be gay and happy. This sudden picture of easy joy and careless ignorance, contrasting so forcibly with the intense studies and that parching desire for wisdom, which had so long made up his own life, and burned at his own heart, sensibly affected Glyndon. As he stood aloof, and gazing on them, the young man felt once more that he was young. The memory of all that he had been content to sacrifice spoke to him like a sharp voice of remorse. The flitting forms of women in their picturesque attire, their happy laughter ringing through the cool, still air of autumn noon, brought back to the heart, or rather perhaps to the senses, the images of his past time the golden shepherd hours when to live was but to enjoy he approached nearer and nearer to the scene and suddenly a noisy group swept around him and maestro paolo tapping him familiarly on the shoulder exclaimed in a hearty voice welcome excellency we are rejoiced to see you amongst us 
Glyndon was about to reply to this salutation when his eyes rested upon the face of a young girl leaning on Paolo's arm, of a beauty so attractive that his color rose and his heart beat as he encountered her gaze. Her eyes sparkled with a roguish and petulant mirth. Her parted lips showed teeth like pearls, as if impatient at the pause of her companion from the revel of the rest. Her little foot beat the ground to a measure that she half hummed, half chanted. Paolo laughed as he saw the effect the girl had produced upon the young foreigner. "'Will you not dance, Excellency? Come, lay aside your greatness and be merry, like us poor devils. See how our pretty Felide is longing for a partner. Take compassion on her.' Felide pouted at the speech, and disengaging her arm from Paolo's, turned away, but threw over her shoulder a glance, half inviting, half defying. Glyndon, almost involuntarily, advanced to her, and addressed her. Oh, yes, he addresses her. She looks down and smiles. Paolo leaves them to themselves, sauntering off with the devil-me-carish air. Felide speaks now, and looks up at the scholar's face with arch-invitation. He shakes his head, Felide laughs, and her laugh is silvery. She points to a gay mountaineer who is tripping up to her merrily. Why does Glyndon feel jealous? Why, when she speaks again, does he shake his head no more? He offers his hand. Felide blushes, and takes it with a demure coquetry. What? Is it so indeed? They whirl into the noisy circle of revellers. Ha! Ha! Is this not better than distilling herbs? and breaking thy brains in Pythagorean numbers. How lightly Fidele bounds along, how her lithesome waist supplies itself to thy circling arm. Tara, 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 tara. What the devil is in the measure that makes the blood course like quicksilver through the veins? Was there ever a pair of eyes like Felide's? Nothing of the cold stars there. Yet how they twinkle and laugh at thee, and that rosy, pursed-up mouth that will answer so sparingly to thy flatteries, as if words were a waste of time, and kisses were their proper language. O oh, pupil of Mejnour, O oh, would-be Rosicrucian, Platonist, Magian, I know not what, I am ashamed of thee. What, in the names of Averroes, and Bury, and Agrippa, and Hermes, have become of thy austere contemplations? Was it for this thou didst resign Viola? I don't think thou hast the smallest recollection of the elixir or the Kabbalah. Take care. What are you about, sir? Why do you clasp that small hand locked within your own? Why do you ta-ra, ta-ra-ra, ta-ra-ra? Keep your eyes off those slender ankles and that crimson bodice. Ta-ra-ra. There they go again. And now they rest under the broad trees. The revel has whirled away from them. They hear, or do they not hear the laughter at the distance? They see, or if they have their eyes about them, they should see a couple, after couple gliding by, love-talking and love-looking. But I will lay a wager, as they sit under that tree, and the sun goes down behind the mountains, that they see or hear very little except themselves. Hello, Sir Excellency! How does your partner please you? Come and join our feasts, loiterers, one dances more merrily after wine. Down goes the round sun, up comes the autumn moon. Ta-ra-ra, ra-ra-ra, ta-ra-ra. Dancing again, it is a dance, or some movement gayer, noisier, wilder still. How they glance and gleam through the night shadows, those flitting forms. What confusion, what order! 
Ha! That is the triantula dance. Maestro Paolo foots it bravely. Diavolo, what fury! The tarantula has stung them all. Dance or die. It is fury. The Corribantes. The Mayanads. The ho ho, more wine. The Sabbath of the witches at Benevito. Is a joke to this. From cloud to cloud wanders the moon, now shining, now lost. Dimness while the maiden blushes, light when the maiden smiles. Felide, thou art an enchantress. Buona notte, Excellency. You will see me again. Ah, young man, said an old decrepit, hollow-eyed octogenarian leaning on his staff, make the best of your youth. I too once had a Felide. I was handsomer than you then. Alas! if we could be always young always young glyndon started as he turned his gaze from the fresh fair rosy face of the girl and saw the eyes drooping ruin the yellow wrinkled skin the tottering frame of the old man ha ha said the decrepit creature hobbling near to him with malicious laugh yet i too was young once give me a baiocho for a glass of aqua vitae tarara tarara ra there dances youth wrap thy rags round thee and totter off old age whilst calidore does follow that fair maid unmindful of his vow and highest behest by which the fairy queen was on him laid it was that grey indistinct struggling interval between the night and the dawn when clarence stood once more in his chamber the abstruse calculations laying on his table caught his eye and filled him with a sentiment of weariness and distaste but alas if we could always be young oh thou horrid spectre of the old man bromide man what apparition can the mystic chamber shadow forth more ugly and more hateful than thou oh yes if we could be always young but not not to labour for ever at these crabbed figures and these cold compounds of herbs and drugs no but to enjoy to love to revel to revel what should be the companion of youth but pleasure and the gift of eternal youth may be mine this very hour what means this prohibition of mejnour's is it not the same complexion as his ungenerous reserve even in the minutest secrets of chemistry or the numbers of his Kabbalah, compelling me to perform all the toils and yet withholding from me the knowledge of the crowning result no doubt he will still on his return show me that the great mystery can be attained but will still forbid me to attain it is it not as if he desired to keep my youth the slave to his age to make me dependent solely upon himself to bind me to a journeyman's service by perpetual excitement to curiosity and the sight of the fruits he places beyond my lips these and many reflections still more repining disturbed and irritated him heated with the wine excited by the wild revels he had left when he was unable to sleep the image of that revolting old age which time unless defeated must bring upon himself quickened the eagerness of his desire for the dazzling and imperishable youth he ascribed to zanoni the prohibition only served to create a spirit of defiance the reviving day laughing jocundly through this lattice dispelled all the fears and superstitions that belonged to the night the mystic chamber presented to his imagination nothing to differ from any other apartment in the castle what foul or malignant apparition could harm him in the light of that blessed sun it was the peculiar 
and on the whole most unhappy contradiction in glyndon's nature that while his reasoning led him to doubt and doubt rendered him immoral conduct irresolute and unsteady he was physically brave to rashness nor is this uncommon skepticism and presumption are often twins when a man of this character determines upon any action personal fear never deters him and for the moral fear any sophistry suffices to self-will almost without analyzing himself the mental process by which his nerves hardened themselves and his limbs moved he traversed the corridor gained mejnour's apartment and opened the forbidden door all was as he had been accustomed to see it save that on the table in the centre of the room lay open a large volume he approached and gazed on the characters on the page they were in a cipher the study of which had made part of his labours but with slight difficulty he imagined that he interpreted the meaning of the first sentences and that they ran thus to quaff the inner life is to see the outer life to live in defiance of time is to live in the whole he who discovers the elixir discovers what lies in space for the spirit that vivifies the frame strengthens the senses there is attraction in the elementary principle of light the lamps of rosicrucius fire is the pure elementary principle kindle the lamps while thou openst the vessel that contains the elixir and the light attracts towards thee those beings whose life is that light beware of fear fear is the deadliest enemy to knowledge here the ciphers changed their character and became incomprehensible but had he not read enough did not the last sentence suffice beware of fear it was as if mejnour had purposely left the page open as if the trial was in truth the reverse of the one pretended as if the mystic had designed to make experiment of his courage while affecting but that of his forbearance not boldness but fear was the deadliest enemy to knowledge he moved to the shelves on which the crystal vases were placed with an untrembling hand he took from one of them the stopper and a delicious odour suddenly diffused itself through the room the air sparkled as if with a diamond dust a sense of unearthly delight of an existence that seemed all spirit flashed through his whole frame and a faint low but exquisite music crept thrilling through the chamber at this moment he heard a voice in the corridor calling his name and presently there was a knock on the door without are you there signor said the clear tones of maestro paolo glyndon hastily reclosed and replaced the vial and bidding paolo await him in his own apartment tarried till he heard the intruder's steps depart then he reluctantly quitted the room as he locked the door he still heard the dying strain of that fairy music and with a light step and joyous heart he repaired to paolo inly resolving to visit again the chamber at an hour when his experiment would be safe from interruption as he crossed the threshold paolo started back and exclaimed why excellency i scarcely recognize you amusement i see is a greater beautifier to the young yesterday you looked so pale and haggard but Felitti's merry eyes have done more for you than the philosopher's stone ever did for the wizards and glyndon glancing at the old venetian mirror as paolo spoke was scarcely less startled than paolo himself at the change in his own mind and bearing his form before bent with thought seemed to him taller by half the head so lithesome 
and erect rose his slender stature his eyes glowed his cheeks bloomed with health and the intimate and pervading pleasure if the mere fragrance of the elixir was thus potent well might the alchemist have ascribed life and youth to the draught you must forgive me excellency for disturbing you said paolo producing a letter from his pouch but our patron has just written to me to say that he will be here to-morrow and desired me to lose not a moment in giving to yourself this billet which he enclosed who brought the letter a horseman who did not wait for any reply glyndon opened the letter and read as follows i return a week sooner than i had intended and you will expect me to-morrow you will then enter on your ordeal your desire but remember that in doing so you must reduce being as far as possible into the mind the senses must be mortified and subdued not the whisper of one passion heard thou mayst be master of the cabala and the chemistry but thou must be master also over the flesh and the blood over love and vanity ambition and hate i will trust to find thee so fast and meditate till we meet glyndon crumpled the letter in his hand with a smile of disdain what more drudgery more abstinence youth without love and pleasure baffled mejnor thy pupil shall gain thy secrets without thine aid and Philide, i passed her cottage in my way she blushed and sighed when i jested her about you excellency well paolo i thank thee for so charming an introduction thine must be a rare life ah excellency while we are young nothing like adventure except love wine and laughter very true farewell maestro paolo we will talk more with each other in a few days all that morning glyndon was almost overpowered with the new sentiment of happiness that had entered into him he roamed into the woods and he felt a pleasure that resembled his earlier life of an artist but a pleasure yet more subtle and vivid in the various colors of the autumn foliage certainly nature seemed to be brought closer to him he comprehended better all that Mejnour had often preached to him of the mystery of sympathies and attractions he was about to enter into the same law as those mute children of the forests he was to know the renewal of life the seasons that chilled to winter should yet bring again the bloom and mirth of spring man's common existence is as one year to the vegetable world he has his spring his summer his autumn and winter but only once but the giant oaks round him go through a revolving series of verdure and youth and the green of the centurion is as vivid in the beams of may as that of the sapling by its side mine shall be your spring but not your winter exclaimed the aspirant wrapped in these sanguine and joyous reveries glyndon quitting the woods found himself amidst cultivated fields and vineyards to which his footstep had not before wandered and there stood by the skirts of a green lane that reminded him of verdant england a modest house half cottage half farm the door was open and he saw a girl at work with her distaff she looked up uttered a slight cry and tripping gaily into the lane to his side he recognized the dark-eyed Felide. hist she said archly putting her finger to her lip do not speak loud my mother is asleep within and i knew you would come to see me it is kind glyndon with a little embarrassment accepted the compliment to his kindness which he did not exactly deserve you have thought then of me fair Felide? yes answered the girl colouring 
but with that frank bold ingenuousness which characterizes the families of italy especially of the lower class and in the southern provinces oh yes i have thought of little else paolo said he knew you would visit me and what relation is paolo to you none but a good friend to us all my brother is one of his band one of his band a robber we of the mountains do not call a mountaineer a robber signor i ask pardon do you not tremble sometimes for your brother's life the law the law never ventures into these defiles tremble for him no my father and grandsire were of the same calling i often wish i were a man by these lips i am chanted that your wish cannot be realized fie signor and do you really love me with my whole heart and i thee said the girl with a candour that seemed innocent as she suffered him to clasp her hand but she added thou wilt soon leave us and i she stopped short and the tears stood in her eyes there was something dangerous in this it must be confessed certainly felide had not the same seraphic loveliness of viola but hers was a beauty that equally at least touched the senses perhaps glyndon had never really loved viola perhaps the feelings with which she had inspired him were not that of ardent character which deserves the name of love however that be he thought as he gazed on those dark eyes that he had never loved before and couldst thou not leave thy mountain he whispered as he drew yet nearer to her dost thou ask me she said retreating and looking him steadfastly in the face dost thou know what we daughters of the mountains are you gay smooth cavaliers of cities seldom mean what you speak with you love is amusement with us it is life leave these mountains well i should not leave my nature keep thy nature ever it is a sweet one yes sweet while thou art true stern if thou art faithless shall i tell thee what the girls of this country are daughters of men whom you call robbers we aspire to be the companions of our lovers or our husbands we love ardently we own it boldly we stand by your side in danger we serve you as slaves in safety we never change and we resent change you may reproach strike us trample us as a dog we bear all without a murmur betray us and no tiger is more relentless be true and our hearts reward you be false and our hands revenge dost thou love me now during this speech the italian's countenance had most eloquently aided her words by turns soft frank fierce and at the last question she inclined her head humbly and stood as in fear of his reply before him the stern brave wild spirit in which seemed yet unfeminine was yet if i may so say still womanly did not recoil it rather captivated glyndon he answered readily briefly and freely felide yes oh yes forsooth clarence glyndon every light nature answers yes lightly to such a question from lips so rosy have a care have a care why the deuce Mejnour, do you leave your pupil of four-and-twenty to the mercy of these wild cats a mountain preach fast and abstinence and sublime renunciation of the cheats of the senses very well in you sir heaven knows how many ages old 
but at four-and-twenty your hierophant could have kept you out of Felide's way, or you would have had small taste for the Kabbalah. And so they stood, and talked, and vowed, and whispered, till the girl's mother made some noise within the house, and Felide bounced back into the distaff, her finger once more on her lip. "'There is more magic in Felide than in Mingenor,' said Glyndon to himself, walking gaily home. Yet on second thoughts, I know not if I quite so well like a character so ready for revenge. But he who has a real secret can baffle even the vengeance of a woman, and disarm all danger. Sirrah, dost thou even already meditate the possibility of treason? Oh, well said, Zanoni. To pour water into the muddy well does but disturb the mud. See you what porter sits within the vestibule? what face watches the threshold and it is profound night all is at rest within the old castle all is breathless under the melancholy stars now is the time mejnour with his austere wisdom mejnour the enemy to love mejnour whose eye will read thy heart and refuse thee the promised secrets because the sunny face of felide disturbs the lifeless shadow that he calls repose mejnour comes to-morrow seize the night beware of fear never or this hour so brave youth brave despite all thy errors so with a steady pulse thy hand unlocks once more the forbidden door he placed his lamp on the table beside the book which still lay there opened he turned over the leaves but could not decipher their meaning till he came to the following passage when then the pupil is thus initiated and prepared let him open the casement light the lamps and bathe his temples with the elixir he must be aware how he presume yet to quaff the volatile and fiery spirit to taste till repeated inhalations have accustomed the frame gradually to the ecstatic liquid is to know not life but death he could penetrate no farther into the instructions the cipher again changed he now looked steadily and earnestly round the chamber the moonlight came quietly through the lattice as his hand opened it and seemed, as it rested on the floor, and filled the walls, like the presence of some ghostly and mournful power. He ranged the mystic lamps, nine in number, round the centre of the room, and lighted them one by one. A flame of silvery azure tints sprung up from each, and lighted the apartment with a calm yet most dazzling splendour. But presently this light grew more soft and dim, as a thin grey cloud, like a mist, gradually spread over the room and an icy thrill shot through the heart of the Englishman, and quickly gathered over him like the coldness of death. Instinctively, aware of his danger, he tottered, though with difficulty, for his limbs seemed rigid and stone-like, to the shelf that contained the crystal vials. Hastily he inhaled the spirit, and laved his temples with the sparkling liquid. The same sensation of vigor in youth and joy and airy lightness that he had felt then in the morning, instantaneously replaced the deadly numbness that just before had invaded the citadel of life he stood with his arms folded on his bosom erect and dauntless to watch what should ensue the vapour had now assumed almost the thickness and seeming consistency of a snow-cloud the lamps piercing it like stars and now he distinctly saw shapes somewhat resembling in outline those of the human form gliding slowly and with regular evolutions through the cloud. They appeared bloodless, their bodies were transparent, and contracted or expanded like the folds of a serpent. 
as they moved in majestic order he heard a low sound the ghost as it were of a voice which each caught and echoed from the other a low sound but musical which seemed the chant of some unspeakably tranquil joy none of these apparitions heeded him his intense longing to accost them to be of them to make one of this movement of aerial happiness for such it seemed to him made him stretch forth his arms and seek to cry aloud but only an inarticulate whisper passed his lips and the movement and the music went on the same as if the mortal were not there slowly they glided round and aloft till in the same majestic order one after one they floated through the casement and were lost in the moonlight then as his eyes followed them the casement became darkened with some object undistinguishable at the first gaze but which sufficed mysteriously to change the ineffable horror the delight he had before experienced by degrees this object shaped itself into his sight it was that of a human head covered with a dark veil through which glared with vivid diamonic fire eyes that froze the marrow of his bones nothing else of the face was distinguishable nothing but those intolerable eyes but his terror that even at the first seemed beyond nature to endure was increased a thousandfold when after a pause the phantom glided slowly into the chamber the cloud retreated from it as it advanced the bright lamps grew wan and flickered restlessly at the breath of its presence its form was veiled as the face but the outline was that of a female yet it moved not as even the ghosts that simulate the living it seemed rather to crawl as some vast misshapen reptile and pausing at length it cowered beside the table which held the mystic volume and again fixed its eyes through the filmy veil on the rash invoker all fancies the most grotesque of monk or painter in the early north would have failed to give the visage or imp or fiend that aspect of deadly malignity which spoke to the shuddering nature in those eyes alone all else so dark shrouded veiled and larva-like but that burning glare so intense so livid yet so living had in it something that was almost human in its passion of hate and mockery something that served to shadow that shadowy horror was not all a spirit but partook of matter enough at least to make it more deadly and fearful an enemy to material forms as clinging with a grasp of agony to the wall his hair erect his eyeballs staring he still gazed back upon that appalling gaze the image spoke to him his soul rather than his ear comprehended the words it said thou hast entered the immeasurable region i am the dweller of the threshold what wouldst thou with me silent dost thou fear me am i not thy beloved is it not for me that thou hast rendered up the delights of thy race wouldst thou be wise mine is the wisdom of countless ages kiss me my mortal lover and the horror crawled nearer and nearer to him it crept to his side its breath breathed upon his cheek with a sharp cry he fell to the earth insensible and knew no more till far in the noon the next day he opened his eyes and found himself in his bed the glorious sun streaming through his lattice and the bandit paolo by his side engaged in polishing his carbine and whistling a calabrian love air end of chapter seventeen recording by kirk ziegler ogden utah voiceover-solutions.com